0: We just turn our attention right now to your presence as it surrounds and folds and penetrates us. We recognize that in you we live and move and have our being. That you are always present and at work. Before, even while we were still asleep this morning, you were preparing us and preparing our world for the day that you had for us. God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and send your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Lord God, almighty and everlasting Father, you brought us in safety to this new day. <clears throat> Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin, nor be overcome by adversity, and in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Amen. The last part of that prayer was out of the prayer liturgy, which I will teach you later. I prayed about it today. The Lord said, not today. So not today. Um, but uh, but uh, I find that praying, I pray, I pray mostly my own prayers, but, uh, and prayers that come just right from me. Uh, but I find that praying prayers that come from uh, others, prayers that are written um, and have been prayed through the generations by the church um, is really helpful for me to move beyond myself and to pray for things that i wouldn't pray for on my own. you find you will find that angry people pray angry prayers, insecure people pray insecure prayers. People that are filled with doubt pray doubt-filled prayers, and, uh, which means that most of my prayers are just reflections of me. And that's fine a lot of the time. However, we have to understand that prayer is formational, that the things that we pray shape us. <clears throat> In fact, that's the primary purpose of prayer, is not to get God to do anything but that we might be properly formed. And uh, if I'm only praying my own prayers, I'm only uh, reinforcing my already established form. If I pray other people's prayers, it will form me in a different way. Uh, I was praying about this last week, and I... um, Just came to a more a better realization than I ever have, that the the human being, you and I, the human person, is in a constant state of flux and change. That we are not the same person from one minute to another. That we that we are always in motion, always being changed and formed. If you think of the picture that God gave uh, to the prophet. Uh, you know, we're on the potter's wheel spinning and God's hands are forming us into what he would make us. But if we understand that we are always changing and that the world that we live in, the people that we spend time with and the things that we read and watch and uh, and imbibe, even the food that we eat (laughs) is shaping us. both physically and mentally and emotionally, we're being formed at all times. When we're aware of that fact, then it should make us really, really interested in all the things that are forming us at any given moment. One of those, the, the, the church in its wisdom throughout the generations has been extremely aware of that fact and so it has done it has built liturgies and systems through the, throughout the generations to help to properly form christ followers through their times and in the last 100 maybe 200 years The Western church has mostly said, yeah, that that 2,000 years of wisdom and thought and whatever is all crap. We're just going to throw it away. And and we're going to invent our own stuff because it's going to be better. And uh, I think we were wrong. Now, I don't think all the stuff that we invented was bad. Some of it was good. Some of it was fine. But some of it we were just reinventing the wheel. We were reinventing things that had already existed as a part of the, pe- the practice of the church, and we just threw it away because it was old. We don't like old things. But thank God your generation is beginning to say something is missing. and They're beginning to rediscover some of the ancient practices of the church and value them again. And uh, and I have been doing that the last few years. And the, the liturgy, the prayer liturgy that I'll teach you is one of those. But it's not the only one. There's also the Christian calendar. Are you aware that there's a Christian calendar? There is. Um, there is the different prayer books of the different Christian uh, expressions throughout history have walked people through the story of Jesus every year. And it's built around the different holidays. Some of the holidays we still have, like Christmas and Easter. But there are other holidays like Epiphany and uh, Ascension Day and Trinity Sunday and that have kind of gone away that we don't celebrate. What's kind of disgusting about that is the reason we don't celebrate them is because the secular world doesn't celebrate them. The non-Christian world doesn't celebrate them. And so we have let them go as well. When the word holiday literally means holy day, the idea of a day that's to be celebrated is a religious uh, intentional choice that was made by those who were followers of Jesus in the generations before us. But we have, for some reason, believed that Christianity didn't get anything right until the current generation or maybe one generation behind us. We have, for some reason, believed that old Christianity equals bad Christianity, but I would say it was good enough to get Christianity to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So maybe there were some good things there. I grew up completely ignorant of all that stuff. Of the Christian calendar, of the common books of prayer, of nobody ever taught me how to pray. But I'm just going to stop right there because I'm cause then we'll end up just teaching the liturgy and I didn't bring my I didn't bring copies of the liturgy for you, and I I don't want to do that without that. But anyway, so that's a preview. Maybe we'll do that next week. Yeah.
1: I got a question. Go ahead. Okay. So you said holiday mean, Holy Day. Day. Yes. Is Halloween considered a holiday?
0: Absolutely. Yes.
1: What's the Christian sign of that?
0: Sure. All Hallows Day... Is November 1st. It's also known as All Saints Day. Hallow just means holy. Okay. All Hallows Eve. Think of Christmas Eve. All Hallows Eve is the day before All Hallows Day. November 1st is a holy day.
1: But the night...
0: The night before. Now, here's what you need to understand about about October 31st and November 1st. And this is true of almost every Christian holiday, by the way. We were redeeming pagan holidays and making them into Christian holidays. Okay, I'm doing a wedding tonight. This is just an example. I'm doing a wedding tonight. And you would say, why, why would you do weddings on Tuesday? Well, first of all, in the Jewish world, you always did weddings on Tuesday. Tuesday was the day in creation that was doubly blessed. But these aren't Jewish people, and I don't think they're even aware of that reality. Uh, I'm going to talk about it in the wedding tonight. But, but, um, but they chose today because it's October 15th, and I, they have both been married before. Both of them were married on October 15th before, and both of them, those were pretty ugly experiences. And their desire is to redeem the day in their new god, uh, uh, God-filled god union that they're, that they're entering into now which is pretty cool, right? I mean, I think part of me would be like, I don't ever even want to remember that day. I want to stay as far away from that day as possible. They were like, nope, we want to face head on the fact that we've made mistakes and we want to ask Jesus to fix them. And I think that's great. So I'm excited about doing that wedding tonight. The Christian church did the same thing. When Uh, they had lots of days that they kind of would use that day to remember specific things. But then when they became the official uh, uh, church of the Roman Empire, which happened about 350 years after Jesus was um, on the earth, uh, they began to look at the national holidays, which were all pagan, and began to say... How can we redeem those days? Because people are still going to want their time off, and they're still going to want to celebrate. But can we turn that celebration into a celebration of Christ and away from a celebration of darkness? Okay? All Hallows' Eve and All Hallows' Day is the celebration of the fact that the days are getting darker. It was a day where they, different cultures throughout history have believed that on this day, the veil between the realm of the spirit and the realm of the physical is thinner on All Hallows Day. And so they believed that, that spirits could walk the earth during that night. And so they would take precautions to keep themselves safe in the presence of evil spirits that were walking which is why they would wear masks and have lanterns and things like that, that their superstition told them would keep them safe from spirits. The church said, we're going to celebrate not the evil dead of the past, but we're going to celebrate those who have gone before us that have set an example for us, the saints. Okay, And so we're going to celebrate all of them on one day, November 1st. And All Hallows' Eve will be a beginning of that day. So do you see how, how it's a reversal? Okay. Now, Lord, to, to trace the whole thing of Halloween coming into and um, in, the, in the pagan celebrations, especially of England and the, the Celtic peoples, Samhain, which was what they called this day, the, the 31st, um, they believed that that was a day that the dead could walk the earth, and that the realm between the, 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 the veil between the physical and the spiritual was thinner on that day. They all had that belief about this day, and they had things that they did. But trick-or-treating comes from kids going from house to house asking for a penny for saint, whatever. They would pick a saint, because it was all Saints Eve yeah okay, that 's where trick or treating comes from, and some of them would still wear costumes because kids liked to wear costumes, but also because they would either dress up as some kind of evil spirit in order to scare the evil spirits away, or they would dress up as their favorite saint because it was all saint 's day no it 's not satan 's holiday any more than any other holiday here 's the problem if we're going to if we 're going to have problems with with Halloween we need to have bigger problems with Christmas Ooh. and even bigger problems with Easter because because both Christmas and Easter are the same thing they are pagan holidays that we are redeeming by turning to celebrate Christ okay both Christmas and Easter were pagan holidays that we decided to well People are still going to want to celebrate because that's what they've done every year. Let's turn things around and let's celebrate Jesus through these rituals. So they took the same symbols, the same stuff, the same things that they did. Oh, they give gifts to each other. Well, Jesus was the greatest gift that God's ever given the world. So we can still do that. Oh, they gave gifts to each other. Oh, the three wise men gave gifts to Jesus. So we can still do that. You know, at, at DC, <laughs> do you see how they did it? Okay, they took these old things and they made them Christian. They redeemed them. And so those people that are like, that freak out about Halloween, I don't feel it. Like they don't really know. And it, my favorite is when they try and tell me the history of Halloween. Oh. Oh. Because I'm like, I'm like, I knew all that before. But do you know the Christian history of Halloween? Do you know where the name Halloween even comes from? Do you know that this is a celebration of Christians that have gone before us and set a an good example for us? And that we just took these things and that we've brought them forward into a Christian celebration. And, and yeah, there's some dark stuff that happens then. But just like being excited about the day. And there's a lot of dark stuff that's connected to Halloween. And there's a lot of dark stuff that people like to engage in. I I mean, uh, people dressing up as demons, et cetera. I'm sorry. I don't think that's something a Christian should do. Um, You know, I, I love scary movies, but I don't. I, but I don't. You know what I mean? Like. So my church, we open up our church and have the trick-or-treaters come through the church and we give them candy and verses and, talk, and tell them Jesus loves them and whatever because I want to redeem the holiday too. And I want the kids of our neighborhood to feel welcome in our building. So when they're going to be out on the street anyway, they might as well come visit me. So that's what we do. And, yeah, I get people every year that tell me I'm going to hell and that I don't know what I'm doing and that I'm inviting Satan into the church. (laughs) (laughs) And I always say, no, I'm inviting the world into the church. Like Satan can stay at the door. Okay, he doesn't get to come in. It's also birthday. Wow! Not child child. So you're the Antichrist. Okay. Got <laughs> me. <laughs> Let's shave his head right here. There'll be a six 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 up there. I'm telling you. Just. That's why you
1: wanted to grow your hair back out.
0: Oh. Anyway, so does that make sense?
1: Yeah. yeah. It was just heavy it's like shame. My parents would never let me go trick or treating and never really explain why we don't tell really the yep. Yeah. And like so like my whole life, I was like, well we don't dress up because like we're trying to cover ourselves either like trying to like either fit in or like Go with the evil spirit, whatever. And so we just never dressed up, but like, they never explained why. Yeah. So last year when we were doing the harvest party, everyone's like talking about dressing up, and I was like, Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Good. I never grew up doing it. Right. And like now I see like, oh, okay, wasn't it wasn't like it's okay to dress up. But, like, yeah.
0: Here's my biggest problem with modern day evangelicalism. Okay. My biggest problem with modern day evangelicalism is that it's just reactive. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay, it's just, you know, they see something and then the the outrage machine gets turned on, right? Like (laughs) something silly happens, something that's. I mean, one of my favorite, uh, one of the most recent ones was. Everybody was flipping out because uh, Bethel has an outreach to LGBTQ people, and it, they didn't make it absolutely clear that that uh, that the homosexual activity is forbidden uh, by the Bible. They didn't. They didn't start with that. <laughs> this is an outreach to people who are practicing LGBTQ people. <laughs> Jesus loves you was how they started. Not you're wrong and you know it, but if you want to come to church. And people flipped out all the people that said boycott Bethel. You know, just like, and, and I'm just, I'm just. Uh. What if started ministry like
1: that?
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> or, or any other ministry. Imagine. I mean, I can't. Anyway, so that stuff makes me really angry because what we don't do is love people enough to hear their whole story. We don't sit with them and say, "Hey, you know what? I may not decide, I may not agree with you about this, but you and I are brothers." And our the culture that exists, we just go for I I really like on Facebook now that it's like facts, fact checks like the articles, like you'll have an article and underneath it Facebook will put a thing like fact check, this isn't real. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, have you no, seen that know. yet? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so awesome. Somebody posted something about how Nancy Pelosi was going to defund the Veterans Hospital or something in order to do the impeachment trial, and it, which is just <laughs> malarkey. It's not happening. And you, you don't feel like you even have to read the article to know that that's top-grade bullcrap, okay? and then But then, like, underneath it was, like, Fact check, this isn't actually happening. And I'm like, oh, thank you. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Facebook, for doing that. Because I don't know how many times I've had to, like, see things that people post and I post under them. Do you understand that this is not real? Do you understand that this is not, you know? Don't post things unless you've actually done enough research to... Know if that's true or not. Don't just read an article and be like, "I can't believe this." My favorite was the the excerpt from a a, a speech by President Obama,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where he literally said, "Some people would say," and then he and then he said the opposite of what he believes for a few minutes, like for oh, thirty seconds. Okay. And what they did was they just took that part and said, "Listen to what President Obama said." Okay. When and, and so what I did was I posted the link to the, to the, uh, uh, Library of Congress, the, the actual, like transcript of the speech. I said you might want to read the whole speech. And this is what they said to me. I could not believe it. I was so mad. It's, Fake news. That's what they said to me. I was like, "You're the fake news." What? So then, so then I found. So then I found the actual video of the speech, and I put the video of the speech in their feed, and I was like, "Please watch the original speech. That's not what he was saying." I can't. I just. I didn't vote for the man, but um, I'm not good, but misquoting him in front of everyone. Like, people were making comments like, pure evil. Oh, come on. Why do people want to only
1: hate my before you put
0: Because, because it's easier to hate people when you don't re- recognize them as humans. Mm.
1: That's good.
0: We all want scapegoats. We all want a target. We all want somebody that we can just pile all over because that's what humanity does. That's what we've always done. We've always created an enemy, okay? If if you want to win an election, I will tell you right now how to win an election. It happened in 2016, okay? The whole country got on board with them, including including evangelical Christians like the majority of evangelical Christians. Because this is how President Trump won the election. No matter what you think of him, this is truth. He was not doing well in the primaries at all. I mean, not at all. Everybody was like, why would you vote for this guy? Until until our president, the President of the United States, I pray for him as often as I am able to. Truly, because he needs it. Just as much as I do. I ask God to give him the grace I would ask for myself because who I can't imagine what it's like to be in that job so lord jesus and he's got a bunch of enemies up against him but here's how he won the election in the first few primaries he did not do well until he started talking about the evils of immigration mm-hmm. until he started he stopped talking about what he was going to do in office other than build a wall and lock hillary up and and when he started doing that he started winning So he went in wholesale and he just did go and listen. The things he said he was going to do. Was all about those evil people, that person that's destroying your way of life, this threat to you. It was fear and hatred, just stoking the fires of fear and hatred. And the people in this world that should have more than anybody else been standing up and saying, "I don't agree with them, but I love them because Jesus loves them." Those are the people that are going, "Yeah, build a wall." I'm not okay with it. I just, Ooh. all right, I got to stop because I'm just going to go off on this whole other thing. <laughs>
1: (laughs) But
0: this is why I could not vote for him. It wasn't his politics. I agree with most of his politics. It was his rhetoric. It was the atmosphere he creates. And still, he's stuck to the same playbook for the last four years. God bless him. The way you build consensus among humans is to create an enemy and tell everybody that if we just get rid of them, all of our problems are going to be solved. It's happened over and over and over again. It's happened forever. This is how human, this is how the, this is how the, the system of this world operates. Fear and hatred are powerful motivators. Now, they are not long-term motivators. And the reason is because you can only be afraid for so long. Which is why there needs to be a new story every five minutes that that starts the adrenaline machine over again. Love is the only real long-term motivator. And it's the only motivator that doesn't, remember we talked, remember I said at the beginning that we're always being formed? Okay, Love forms us into happy people that understand how to get along with one another. Fear forms us into isolated people who don't trust anyone and who are more and more and more selecting people that they no longer can trust. Well, I can't trust you anymore. And if you don't agree with the one that's standing up and preaching fear, now you're lumped in with the people I'm afraid of. This is what sin does. Last week we talked about how the universe was created on love. Fear is the opposite of love, but perfect love casts out fear. Hatred's not the opposite of love. Fear is the opposite of love. All right, today I want to go, I want to talk about an, a. Uh, I want I want to continue to build foundation, okay? Before we before we move into a a line by line study of God's word, okay? Which we're going to do some of that today, but we're not going to like focus in on multiple chapters. Eventually, we will uh do a lot like we did last year uh where we will take f- 3 to 5 chapters And we will spend a few weeks on those three to five chapters. Like we'll do Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We'll do John 14, 15, 16, and 17. We'll do Romans 6, 7, and 8. We'll do Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. We'll do, okay? And and we will slowly move through those line by line and just just squeeze every last ounce of revelation out of them that we can, okay? Okay. I'm, we're going to hit the highlights. Um, my Josh's personal favorite highlights, and, the, and um, not that the rest of the Bible isn't as important, but these are a lot of people agree these are highlights. So uh, uh, we're going to do that. But before we do that, we need to set some some bound. We need to set some boundaries and lay some foundation because. All right, this is another gigantic thing we need to talk about. Okay. All of us see the world through our own subjective lens. We interpret the world through our own subjective lens. It's like glasses that we've put on our face. Okay. And they distort the way that we see the world. Well, uh, that's probably the wrong word. It isn't that they distort the way that we see the world. It's just that they give the world context for us. See, human beings are story builders. We're narrative people. We need to have a beginning, a middle, and end of a story. We need to have a purpose. We need to have a, "they all lived happily ever after" kind of thing that we're headed towards. We need the what the Greeks called telos, which is a goal, a finish line. Something that's moving, that we're moving towards, a purpose. Okay? Human beings need that. And because we need that, we build narratives out of everything that happens to us, even when there wasn't really a narrative to build. Let me give you an example. Uh... Okay, so uh, if, I say, if, if I say the first... And we were just talking about this a minute ago. People create narratives out of... You know, they read something and they create their own story about what's happening there before they actually find out what the real story is. Okay? Uh, if I say this, if I, this... This this is a, a seven-word sentence, right? Six-word sentence. And I'm going to give you the, the words in two word increments. Okay. So if I start with the plant, where's your head right now? The plant. The plant. I just say the words, the, the, it's the beginning of my six word sentence, the plant. Tell me what you're thinking. A flower bed. Chernobyl. a, flower bed. <laughs> a flower bed. Uh, Okay. Like a, like a green plant. Okay. But you've already begun to create a narrative. Yes. Okay. I, I, I have a setting now. Right, Chernobyl. <laughs> Did you just watch that or something? No. Which was really good, by the way. If you haven't watched it, it's fantastic. The HBO like uh, uh, thing was great. Anyway, so the plant is swarming. What? That's the next two words. Is swarming now? What are you thinking? Did that flip it? Uh, yeah, I'm
1: thinking like a bee and I'm a flower and
0: pollen and stuff. A wasp. Okay, a wasp. Are you still with Chernobyl? <laughs> it flipped it though, did it? It changes the story. And then I say with ants. Okay, now you have the whole sentence. But do you see how your interpretation of those words changed as the story got longer? It's because your brain is a pattern creator and and recognizer and you it tries to impose patterns on everything it sees and the and and when you're creating a pattern it's coming from you it's coming from your history it's coming from your uh from from your personal narrative when you are when you impose a pattern on something else you created that pattern and you created it out of you out of your history your past okay um So, if you saw a man lying on the on the side of the street, right, your brain is already going to start telling you things about this man. Are you right or wrong? The answer is you don 't know, but you create a narrative because that 's what human beings do. We are story people we 're story creators we 're storytellers we are story. Uh, we put everything that happens to us in a story. So when you read the Bible, you're doing the same thing. You create a narrative. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're supposed to do that. That's how the human brain works. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. But what I am saying is that narrative causes you to see things differently than other people see them. It causes you to interpret things differently than other people interpret them. I had a conversation with a guy, we were talking about this, um, because there's this reality of Christianity that I don't think has been well uh, recognized, and it's something I'm really coming to recognize now, and it's that God calls us into um, participation, partnership, and cooperation with him in everything that we do in life. That that's, that, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, is to step into partnership with God. Okay? And that that's what God wants us to do at all times. God is already working. God's already at work. God's already moving. God's already doing. What we do in prayer and in service and in everything else that we do in the Christian life is we step into participation with God. Does that make sense? y'all still with me right now? Does that make sense? We step into participation cooperation partnership with God. And so I I was talking with a young man, he's the guy that he leads our youth ministry right now and and I was we were talking about how to word this reality. Like how do we how do I I want to build a phrase that we can use at our church all the time over and over again that's shorthand for this truth. That what God's calling us to is to participation, that God is welcoming us into what He's doing. And you think about I'm 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 gonna I don't wanna want do not have enough time to go and preach that all out. Maybe maybe we'll have a conversation about that later. But and so I said to him, I will I liked the word cooperation. I thought that was a good word because it means to operate with, to cooperate, right? I thought that was a great word, to cooperate. And he didn't like it. And I was like, help me understand why you don't like the word cooperate. And he said, because my whole life, authority figures have asked me to cooperate with them. And it was usually me uh, putting my, the things that I wanted and the things that I thought were supposed to happen away. And I was supposed to do what they wanted me to do. And that's, to me, that's what cooperate means. It just carries that baggage in my life. That when someone just says, when someone says, come on, just cooperate with me, that it carries this connotation of, I need to put away my desires and do what they want me to do. And as soon as he said that, I was like, whoa, okay. His narrative of that word around that word cooperate is completely different than my narrative of that word. So my narrative of that word is we're going to do this together arm in arm. And it's just as important to me as it is to you. And that's what cooperate means to me. Now, let me help you understand part of why that narrative was so different. First of all, I've been in a leadership position now for, you know, 30 years, almost, not quite. And I've always had a leadership personality. And because I'm a pastor's kid, I always am asked to do things. And so I've always been in charge of stuff. Okay, so when I say cooperate, I'm not thinking about being controlled. Because that's what I ask people to do is cooperate with me. And when I say that to them, I'm not saying I want to control them. Ever. It's not it's not my leadership style. But this guy grew up in a culture where leadership was very controlling. And they always used that word. To make it okay for them to control him. Do you see how our two personal histories completely change the meaning of that word? Are you all with me right now? Yeah. Okay. We do this with every word we ever hear. We do this with everything that we ever see. We do this with everything that we begin to learn. We impose our narratives upon the things that we hear and see and learn. We do that. We do that. And we do that with the Bible. Which is why every single yeah hold on. Which is why every single <laughs> uh, generation interprets the Bible slightly differently because we're all bringing something else to it. Is that a bad thing? No, right, no, it's not. It's not. But the process of studying the Bible is about getting as close to the narrative of the one who wrote it. As we can, and that process is called exegesis. Everybody with me on that word? Exegesis. It's G E S -S I S. Exegesis. Okay, that's what that that is the process of getting my head into the headspace of the original writer, the original reader of the document. Mm. What did it mean to them at that time? Once I know that, then I can start talking about what it means to me now. But I have to start with what did it mean to them then? Are you with me right now? Okay. What was your question? My um,
1: question was like, is that why we still eat to we judge Yeah. Because that mindset and like everything we're old or heard or.
0: absolutely because we're seeing what they're doing through our lens and our narrative and we're like there's no way I would ever do that why would somebody do that but if you were in their place and you had their narrative that's probably a logical choice for you because people don't often make choices purposefully to harm themselves fact, I would say they never make choices that they perp- to purposely harm themselves. Even when they do something that harms themselves, they are doing it because they're seeking some sort of good. Even people who kill themselves are seeking a release from pain and 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 right. So they're seeking good. They're not getting it, but they're seeking it. Is everybody okay in here right now? Mm-hmm. What's going on in your heads? I realized that last week we mentioned the word kairos, but I never gave you opportunities to really share any kairoses. That it's the the uh oh the the oh yeah the <laughs> what the <laughs> right that moment. So what's going on? Are there any any kairoses? Is anybody? Experiencing a strong emotion right now, by, by based upon what I'm saying? I'm not
1: sure it's really like this great aha moment, but I just like love that you talked about how
0: we all have our own perspective on the world, because I think that's just super important. And I know that's something that when I started to understand it, it made me... Um, I think it helps
1: me have more compassion for the people around me. Yes, that so absolutely. I, just, I love what you're talking about that I now.
0: I think it's what's missing most from our current Christian conversation, is empathy. I I love to put things on Facebook like, I want you to take a minute right now, and I want you to recognize that you're probably wrong about something really important. I just want you to uh, I just want you to be honest right now, that. Uh, at least one or two of the beliefs that are most important to you are going to change at some point in the next few
1: years
0: (laughs) so here's the deal we love to make uh, we love to make people the epitome of evil We love to make people Hitler but even Hitler wasn't Hitler I'm not saying he wasn't an evil person and he didn't make really evil choices. I, he absolutely did, and he absolutely was. What I am saying is, if you had his narrative, you would have been Hitler too. Oh. OK? If you had his history, do you think that every Nazi that lived was a horrible person? I'm telling you most of them weren't. They made horrible decisions that were evil. I'm not saying that's not true. It was. That doesn't mean that that is how they started, who they were. And if you had walked the same path that they walked, you would have probably been a very similar person to who they were. It's very rare that people stood up and stood against what was going on in that culture at that time. It was rare. Some people did. But not most. That's a nice thought. I'm going to start out every day thinking about that. <laughs> if I had had Hitler's story, I would have killed six million Jews as well. <laughs> That's not necessarily true, but it might be. Living in that place of humility and understanding that uh, I'm probably really wrong about some things that are really important to me. I think that's a really good place to be. And to hold all of that stuff like this. And so when Jesus comes and Jesus is like, I'm just going to take this one and I'm going to shred it and I'm going to give you something else. That we're not going to go, but uh, uh, no, you know. <laughs> and also, if your faith finds its resting place
1: mm-hmm.
0: on any of those ideas, and then Jesus comes and takes that idea away, <laughs> which he's like to do because Jesus doesn't like idols Let me tell you my most profound listening prayer moment. Okay, I was doing a listening prayer exercise. All right, and in this in this exercise, I read it in a book. There's a book called Rivers from Eden, and it's written by this this lady, really cool lady, and she uh, her name's Eden Jerzak, and if you know Brad Jerzak, this is her his wife, um, uh, and she she wrote. Forty days of listening prayer, and then she wrote her experience and, th- and each day was a different exercise and this particular exercise I said I was sitting with Jesus I went to the place you know where to my room where I meet Jesus sometimes and in the listening it says it says to take a full length put a full length mirror in your room that you've built to meet with Jesus and then ask Jesus to come and You stand in front of the full-length mirror so you can see yourself, and then ask Jesus to come behind you and to breathe, like, hot breath on the mirror, just, (sighs) so that the whole mirror fogs up. And then ask Jesus to reach around you and to write on the mirror what it is that's keeping you from seeing him clearly. That's good. Okay? And so that's where I'm at and I'm and I'm doing that and I'm just like, "Okay, Jesus, write on the mirror." And he reaches around me and I saw it so clearly. Sometimes listening to prayer is kind of muddled. This was like crystal clear 4K television. And it's like and he reaches around and he writes in the mirror the word truth. Remember my question was, "What is it that's keeping me from seeing you clearly, Jesus?" And his answer is the word truth? I'm gonna be honest with you. My response was, that is not you, Jesus. <laughs> Write something else. And I waited for a minute, and then he wrote busyness, and that was cool. But I could not get away from this word truth, because that was clear as a bell, and I knew that was God, but how could it be God? He wrote truth in the mirror. How can truth be what's keeping me from seeing Jesus clearly? Ah! Now, let me tell you what was going on in my life at the time. I was in the middle of a massive deconstruction moment where Jesus was tearing down a whole bunch of old ideas about, I had about him and rewriting them. And I, was, and, and I was pursuing all these different theological ideas at the time, and I was having a great time because I'm a nerd, and I can sit for hours at a time and listen to different sermons or audiobooks or read or whatever, just pursuing a, a, a theological idea to its, just to its furthest most edge. I love doing that. I do it all the time. It is fun for me. And that's what I was doing at that time. I was just right in the midst of, of, of an idea that I was chasing down. So much so that I had not spent much time in prayer. And I spent three days pursuing the Lord, asking him what on earth he meant by this word truth written in the mirror. And after about three days, I had, we had a prayer meeting at the church and I was I was pacing up and down, and I was just like, Jesus, I have to know, what does this mean? And he says to me, you're searching for truth, but you're not searching for me. Truth has a name, and my name is Jesus. Stop searching for truth and search for me, and you'll find all the truth that you are looking for. And that's when it was like, oh my gosh, I had made my theological ideas more important than Jesus himself. I had done the Pharisee thing of searching the scriptures to find, you know, because I thought it would save me. And not turning to Christ. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. Remember that? He says, you scribes and Pharisees, you heretics. You search the scriptures because you think they will save you, but you won't come to me to get life. And that is exactly what I was doing. Jesus was calling me on it. If our faith is built on anything other than Jesus himself, we are making a mistake. We're going to go through four scriptures today. We only have a half hour. No, 1130, right?
1: 1145?
0: When are we done? When do you have to be up there? Then we need to be, before, need to be done before 1145. <laughs> don't give me more time. <laughs> I don't want you to be late for pastor's prayer.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. We're going to go to... Th- yeah?
1: Um, this may be taking you back to the Halloween question, but yeah, sure. this question was, was kind of... I was wanting to know, so if you feel that way about Halloween, so how do you feel about churches? What is your opinion on churches doing, trunk or treats? Because I know you said your church does some on Halloween. What is your how? What is your opinion on ch- trunk or treats? Churches doing that. Well, of
0: course, I don't have any problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned... if whatever we can do yeah. <laughs> to build relationships with people, yeah. I think we should probably do it. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm, I'm not saying we compromise our message. I'm not saying we like, you know, have, you know, people dressed up as demons or have anything to do with the supernatural. Mm-hmm. That's on, that's at all. No, I mean, that's not cool. Right. Yeah. But if kids are going to be out walking around I would like for them to have something from Fremont Community Church that says Jesus loves them, and so do we. Yeah. I feel like it's a wasted opportunity if we're not there. It's just like, um, you know, we went to the uh, to the gay pride parade. Mm. Okay. Yeah. With a big sign says Jesus loves you, and so do I.
1: Yeah.
0: And people were not happy about that. <laughs> no the people at the parade thought we were awesome they were excited a couple people were walking around with the free dad hugs t-shirt you know and people come up and just like like getting emotional like crying oh my dad rejected me because i was gay and here's this man who wants to give me a hug just because jesus loves me i'm gonna
1: Says in the Bible, Jesus ain't ain't hung out with sinners. So why are why, why are we doing That's
0: that? a really great question.
1: Yeah.
0: Why aren't we? You know, yeah. what did how did God respond to sinners? <clears throat> I mean, it says
1: that he hung out with them.
0: And yeah. With them. Think about Adam and Eve. Okay. We have, this, we have this ugly, and you're going to get me off, and we don't have any time for that. But we have this ugly old picture <laughs> that says that God sees sinners and is like, Ew! No, that is so wrong. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? Where'd you go? Yeah. He came close. He didn't run away. He didn't say, well, that's it for Earth. Forget that. Next. <laughs> yeah. No, God is not scared away by our sin. God comes close. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. God is drawn to people who are captured, captured by their sin. Yeah. He won't walk around there. You know, if they say, I don't want you. He doesn't impose himself upon them. But he comes. That's who he is. And we've had the wrong picture for way too long. And I'll tell you why. Fear. Fear is why. Okay. When I was a kid, of course I was told, you shouldn't hang out with those kids, blah, 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 blah. And that's probably good right? But I'm a grown-up now, right? And what I've always said to my kids is I want you to observe that, yeah, there's going to be kids all around you that are making foolish choices. I don't want you to avoid them just because they've made foolish choices, but I do want you to recognize the different life that's going to happen in, for them because of the foolish choices that they're making. I've always felt like, that's why I sent my kids to public school. That's why, because I want to arm my children with the truth and then send them out as salt and light in a dark world. That's what I want to do. Because they're going to be living the rest of their lives as salt and light in a dark world. Why should I shelter them before that? I, that's, you know, now, if they started to get pulled under or whatever, I might pull them out of that, out of that space. But that's never happened with my kids, you know? My oldest son is known across the whole school as PK. His name's Isaac. (laughs) They all call him PK, okay, (laughs) Because they know he's a preacher's kid. And people will just walk up to him in school and say, will you pray for me about this? Like people from other schools have called him. This is not a joke. This girl from another school. Called him because her friend, who goes to his school, said, "You need to call and talk to my friend Isaac because he talked me through my breakup, and he'll really help you."
1: He's seventeen.
0: He's a senior. No, he's seventeen years old. He's a senior in high school. We were at it. We were at a at a at this huge wrestling event. My sons are, but my two oldest sons, actually, all three of my boys, are wrestlers, and and the one of the seniors on our team this was last year like it looked like he busted his arm i mean it was bad it was ugly turns out it was just really badly dislocated but man you heard we all heard like a like and oh it was bad and isaac isaac walks across like eight mats just like nobody said anything to him and my dad was sitting next to me and i see isaac coming and i knew what was on his mind he walks like he's he's like looks at the guy there that's like doing his thing Is like can i stand over here and the guy's like yeah and he leans down and in front of like a thousand people he starts praying for this kid on the mat in front of the in front of all these folks in the middle of the thing <laughs> and, and uh and I started crying, and i turned my turned my head, and my dad's in there, and he's crying <laughs> God's done beautiful things in my kids, but i and they they can't you can't be that witness if you're sitting at home because your mom's afraid that you're not going to make good choices and I, i'm I'm sure there's homeschoolers in the room and I love you and your parents had great reasons to make the decisions that they made. So I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna say anything against you or against the choices your parents made, but it's a it's just not a choice I could have I could make for my own kids. I'll say it for you, I was homeschooled. I agree. Okay. All right. We are running out of time and I haven't All right, Hebrews chapter one. All right, what were we talking I forget. He was asking about
1: Halloween? About it. Oh, Halloween. And
0: Trick or treating And Trick or treating And Trunk or Treats. Yeah. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We don't put our light under a basket. Some really smart guy said that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 1 and we're going to establish. So, I've been talking about about our lens. I've been talking about our way of viewing the world. I've been talking about, been talking about all that That was all leading up to this, this one thing that I want to bring to your attention and I want you to understand, I want you to hold on to, because this is going to be the guiding principle of all the study that we do for the rest of this year. And that is this, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the word of God. He is the perfect revelation of God, his father. Okay, the Jesus that we have in the Gospels is the perfect revelation of God, our Father. So, and I'm going to show you where I get that idea. I'm going to give you four different verses in the New Testament alone. And there's more than that, but we only have time for these four. We may not even have time for these four. I'm going to give you these four. Okay, so Jesus is our Lens and our narrative through which we view the rest of scripture. Period. Jesus is the revelation of God, and if we are reading scripture and we get some picture of God that doesn't look like the Jesus of the gospels, then we've read that scripture wrong. All right, that's my, that's my thesis statement. Okay. Jesus is, Jesus has perfectly revealed his Father. All right? Now, where do I get that idea? We're going to start with Hebrews 1, though. I probably should start in John. I'm going to start in Hebrews anyway. (laughs) Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Capital S, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And his ministers, a flame of fire, but of the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of right, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And the Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens in the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you, speaking of Jesus, are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits and out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? Okay, so this is the writer of the Hebrews. We don't know who that is, by the way. We have no idea who wrote the book of Hebrews. We have some thoughts. There's some people that think that Priscilla wrote this book. And if that's the case, uh, that would this would be the only book authored by a woman in the Bible, which is really cool. There's enough of Paul in here that makes us think that somebody that knew Paul well or was with Paul wrote this book. Okay, that's... But... Paul always started his letters by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, blah, blah, blah. And this letter doesn't begin that way. And no copy of it that we've ever found begins that way. It always begins the exact same way. All right. So we think that this is somebody taking their study of the Old Testament through the tutelage of Paul and and writing this letter. Anyway, that's me. Some people think it was Apollos that wrote it. Um, We don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, and they're beginning the letter by saying, everything's different now. Because this letter is written to Jewish people. They're saying, everything's different now. In the past, God spoke to us through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all these other guys or through the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these other guys, Zephaniah, all the ayahs, you know. Um, I think those are the only ayahs, but <laughs> Malachi and, 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 you know, the other dudes, uh, you know. So, <clears throat> I guess Nehemiah is another ayah. I didn't think about that. Uh, it doesn't matter. He's saying, God spoke to us through these men, but today... Now, in this age, God himself has spoken to us as the son. We're in a different age than we were in before. Before it was secondhand, inspired by God, beautiful, lovely. In fact, he loves it so much that he then spends most of this chapter quoting the Old Testament. He's not saying the Old Testament's not valid. But what he is saying is the, the, what do you call it? Revelation of God is complete now because Jesus himself, the very second person of the Trinity, has spoken to us. And we know that he has authority to speak to us. Why? Because Jesus is the one through whom God created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is not some guy who studied the Old Testament really well and then taught us the Old Testament. This is God himself speaking to us. That's a big deal. This is, did, does this make sense? Is everybody with me right now? Okay, and the author of Hebrews begins there. Now let's go to John. Okay, we're going to read John 14 first, and then we're going to go to John 17. And later on, we are going to go through verse by verse, John 14 through 17, because they may be the most important passages of the Gospels, maybe. The only thing that might eclipse them is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we will definitely spend our time there. Matthew four or John 14, verse 9, Jesus said to him, well, we can start with verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, just show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And I can hear the pain in Jesus' voice in this next statement. Philip, have I been with you so long? There's that participation, cooperation thing that I was telling you about earlier right there. Jesus himself operated in cooperation with the Father. So I think we should probably do that, you think? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So here's Jesus. Philip's like, well, just show us the Father. Jesus is like, what do you think I've been doing? (laughs) (laughs) You want to see the Father? (laughs) I'm here. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm up to. I've been showing you the Father for three years. Did you not, did you just miss all that? (laughs) So many times I think Jesus just had a permanent like red mark, just right. Because the disciples, see, I just Jesus just face palming every just every time he had a conversation with them, he's like, Oh, I'm so glad this ministry's only gonna last three years. <laughs> That's terrible.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, let's go to John seventeen now. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, okay? I'm gonna start with verse one. Okay, so it's after this whole preamble. Like I said, we're gonna do John 14 through 17. We're gonna go deep on that stuff because it's just good stuff, man. It's yummy. It's delicious. Hi. So I sent you a text earlier. You did? Yeah, well, you just
1: checked me before you leave today.
0: Yeah. Happily. Father. Okay, so Jesus has done this whole thing, and now he's ending their time together in prayer. Okay? He's closing the service in prayer. And then after this, he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and be uh, betrayed. Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. That word "hour" right there is kairos, by the way. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, pay attention to this, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And if you have any questions about what eternal life is, Jesus says in the prayer, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And if you want to know what the work God gave him to do was, he goes on to tell you that I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That was the work. The work that Jesus came to do was to reveal the Father to his disciples. Okay, manifested your name is not a a phrase we would use on a regular basis, right? Does everybody know what the word manifest means? Somebody tell me, manifest. Doesn't
1: that mean like the presence of God comes over you?
0: Well... Um, we use the word manifest about the presence of God, but the word manifest itself does not have to be about the presence so of God. That yes. yes. Just means a, clear display. a clear display. So when the manifest presence of God comes, okay, that means there is a clear display of the presence of God. The presence of God is normally invisible, yeah. and often we don't even feel it, but it's always there. The difference is when God begins to manifest his presence, he begins to do things. I heard a guy say one time that uh, the difference between the presence of God and the manifest presence of God is like a millionaire who's sitting in a room and he's got his pockets full of money. Okay? Uh, he, that money and that millionaire are present. But when he begins to manifest his presence is when he starts handing out $100 bills. Okay? Okay? That's the manifest presence, okay? And that's God. He's always here. He's always around us. And he's always at work. Maybe someday we'll go through the seven axioms again. We did that last year, right? Okay, Um, he's always present and he's always at work, but he's not always manifest. Okay, so to be manifest means to make something tangible, to to display it, to make it so that it's, You can see it, feel it, touch it, know it. It's obvious to me. Okay? Right now, there is electricity flowing through this wire. Right? Mm -hmm. When I do this, that electricity becomes manifest. If I were to rip that wire open and stick it in my mouth, that electricity would become manifest in a different way. (laughs) Okay? Which actually is not funny because, like, two days ago, some guy was like digging in Fremont and like hit a thing and the electricity just and like he literally, he burned for hours, like they couldn't even get close enough to him to like it was really bad, Uh, anyway the place where I'm doing this wedding is across the street from it, oh no, no 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 there's nothing left of him really, I mean it's bad okay so John 17, we did that all right, so Jesus manifested the name of God. Now, names then were not just what sounds cool, okay? Names were prophetic, and they spoke of who you were, not just what we call you, okay? <laughs> who you are was manifested in your name. A lot of times we wouldn't even name their kids until they had some idea. Hey! Hi, Ron. Of of who they were, and then they would, but like you know, Jacob's name means heel grabber, because that's what he was doing when when Esau was born first. Jacob had hold of his of his foot. They were twins. Yeah, it's kind of gross, but it's just that's that's and so that's what they called him, supplanter, heel grabber. That's what it means.
1: So Supplanter it, Keel heel grabber. Really so I didn't know they were twins.
0: They were twins, yeah. They were twins. You
1: you I just
0: go read the, read the Bible, 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 people. What's going on? Do <laughs> <laughs> we need to go back and do the and like and do the Bible stories? You guys know that God created the world, right? Okay. Then there was Adam and Eve.
1: It's like, I've, I grew up in church, like, my whole life, but it's it dumbfounded how much, how little I know, like, the typical Bible stories. I'm just like, so my finger, like, oh, you know that? Everybody knows this story. No, I don't know that story. I don't know nursery rhymes, and I
0: don't know Oh, man. Well, you don't need to know nursery rhymes, but you do need to know the Bible <laughs> stories. Not, right? all right.
1: stories. All right. Yeah. <laughs> he says nursery rhymes? <laughs> said, all of the ones that he grew up on, and he like...
0: There was an old woman who lived in a shoe, you know, um, I don't know. Anyway, let's keep going. All right, Colossians chapter one. You only have a few more minutes left, so. I actually pray this one almost every day. It's part of the liturgy. Colossians one, starting with verse 15. This is speaking of Jesus again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn doesn't mean born first. It means most preeminent of creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So he's the firstborn of creation. He's also the firstborn from the dead. Part of the reason Jesus had to die was so that even amongst the dead, he would be preeminent. You ever thought about that? No. There's a lot more going on in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ than we've spent time talking about. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Ooh, come on now. I'm telling you what. Jesus. Woo! Come on. God had to step into creation so that even creation would be saturated with God. So there would be nothing anywhere that wasn't full of his presence. Jesus took all creation into himself, and is pushing all creation through himself so that in all things he will be preeminent. And at the end of the day, when all of creation is resurrected from the dead, and I'm not just talking about people, I'm talking about all of creation will will die and resurrect. The Bible talks about all over the place. We'll We'll have that discussion later. We had it last week a little bit. But Jesus will be... Once again, the source DNA of all that exists will be God. And he will turn around and say, Here, Father, I did this for you. Jesus is God. Yes? And Jesus reveals God perfectly. Jesus said that himself, and the authors of the New Testament say it. He's the image of the invisible God. The invisible God made manifest, made tangible, made so we could see him. He's the exact representation of his nature, of God's nature. So if we don't see it in Jesus, it's not in God the Father That is so radically important, and you probably don't get that yet. It's taken me about two years to really. well, I've been uh, beginning to understand this for the last two years better than ever in my entire life, and it has wreaked havoc on my theology. It's wreaked havoc on my reading of scripture. I've had to reread the whole Bible just to get, and I'm not even close to being done with that to sit with it and say, if I'm not using Jesus as my lens to s- and, and, and my, my plumb line as the manifestation of God, if, if, if I see a God in Scripture that doesn't look like Jesus, I'm misinterpreting that Scripture. The Scripture is good. The Scripture is breathed out by God. I'm not saying the Scripture is wrong. The scripture is right. But I'm not doing a good job of understanding it. If the God that I see is not a God that looks like Christ. Because Christ is the image of the invisible God. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. And Jesus at the end of his ministry said, I did it! (laughs) I manifested your name! Father, I show them who you are! And I'm about to show them even more as I go to the cross. The high point, the greatest moment of manifest revelation in the history of the world was God on the cross forgiving the ones who killed him. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You want to know who God is? That's who God is. All giving, all forgiving, sacrificial, co suffering love is who God is. And it's who we were created to be, too. Father, thank you. Teach us every day, form us in the cruciform way. Set us loose on the world to be the catalyst of resurrection on the planet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yep. Isn't like I just do that? I know you're behind
1: me. Is there like I don't know like? Out of all oh, the people that are like our mentors within like the program, oh, oh, like, you're not the, the most passionate about politics. <laughs> I don't know, but where. is there any way that the like do you want to talk? Not so, so much about like people. Like, oh, so I want this and like thing. because <laughs> I <like, that's all> got <coughs> like, so like because I feel like our generation is
0: just so lost. like how
1: to
0: figure that.
1: out.